We're trying to conduct a serious scientific investigation. Science, logic, reason. Do you have any hard data? Now, that's what I call science. You are listening to Now That's What I Call Science, the weekly science radio show brought to you from Hobart, Tasmania on Edge Radio 99.3 FM, your local community radio show. Check it out at edgeradio.org.au. We are passionate and enthusiastic about all things science, but more specifically about showcasing Tasmanian science. What might that be? It's just local researchers that are doing their thing, spreading the good word of science. And for the month of August, we have been covering all things science week in fact did you know that while tasmania is only two percent of the australian population it took in 25 percent of the national science week funding why might that be because tasmanians love science and are keen as to celebrate it as part of science week so we've been covering things like beaker street festival of bright ideas are really the big hitting programs that bring science across tasmania um, including things like the young tassie scientist So we thought to ourselves, what's the best way to really round off these feature episodes? And it really occurred to me that, well, we need to look at the scientists of the future and how many young, bright minds are in Tasmania really leading the way for future discovery, creativity and problem solving. So we caught up with a number of budding young scientists who reached out to share their enthusiasm We've caught up with um, an undergrad engineer, a future astrophysicist, um, a winner of the Science and Engineering Investigation Awards, and an enthusiastic future chemist from Elizabeth College. And I hope that throughout this episode, their enthusiasm and passion emanates across the airwaves into your earbuds and really makes you excited about science the way science week is intended to and what i really loved about putting this episode together is that quite a lot of science week focuses on adult scientists or you know people who are researching in their field going out and into schools and doing outreach with young students But what I loved here is that these young minds really reinvigorated my passion for science and showcased the amazing and exciting achievements that have already occurred and are no doubt going to trailblaze in the future. I think so far my Science Week highlight has been producing my own event, Science Week Street Party, and interviewing Professor Elizabeth Blackburn as part of that. But it's been such an enriching experience to talk to these young minds and hear about why they're enthusiastic about um, science and what projects they've been passionate about so far. We had Daniel Searle telling us about the joy of Science Week, enabling him to conduct experiments with younger students and how enriching that first experience was for him. To uh, Jess, to Lucy Ede, who... Um, developed an innovative solution to look at the safety of backpack loads to Jess Priest, who recently went to Nepal to learn about human-focused design within engineering. I hope that you enjoyed this week's episode, and please do get in touch with us on all of our platforms if you'd like to you know, have a say about what kind of future content you'd like us to make. So you can get in touch with us on Now That's What I Call Science at Edge Radio, 
on Facebook or on Twitter and can find um, our downloadable podcast on demand on really any of your podcast platforms. And if you don't find it, make sure you get in touch with us so that we can add it to that platform. You are listening to Now That's What I Call Science, and this week we are unpacking the scientists of the future, or, you know, shining stars in STEM, science, technology, engineering, and maths. And this is the last episode of our Science Week specials, and we really wanted to um, try and represent really some of the future leaders in STEM and what makes them passionate at such a young age about pursuing these types of careers. So in the studio with me is Jess Priest, who is a engineering student at the University of Tasmania. And indeed, she is taking a double major in science and engineering, doing environmental science and environmental engineering. And I caught up with Jess for a recent event called Catalyst Conversations, which really is all about encouraging young people who are passionate about STEM to stick with it and pursue it further. But what really interested me about Jess was that She's recently been to Nepal for um, the Humanitarian Design Summit, which is run actually by Engineers Without Borders, which is very similar to Medicine Sans Frontier or Doctors Without Borders, where they promote humanitarian engineering or essentially a community organization trying to empower and develop communities. And I was really interested to hear more about what they got up to, different kinds of principles that I hadn't really heard of before, such as humanitarian engineering, didn't know what that was essentially it means it's a user-focused design or a human-centered design process and essentially the summit that she was attending is an educational study tour that aims to provide students with professional work experience while also allowing them to develop a really deep understanding of this role of thinking about people or being human-centered in your design process and the really the role that that can play in creating positive change within communities so it sounds like there's a lot to really unpack there. Um, so Jess, I'd really like to start off with just, you know, how did you hear about this or how did you at first get involved with something like this? What sparked your interest? Um, so I think it was my second year of uni and, you know, I just had a really challenging first year and I guess I was a bit stuck. I wasn't really enjoying it and I I love helping people and I um, didn't see how circuit theory and dynamics and statics and all this sort of maths would be helping people in the way that I wanted to um and then I got an email of advertising engineers that bought us their humanitarian design summit and I <laughs> looked into it more and um their principles and morals really lined up with mine and how they really focus on improving the quality of people's lives so I applied for that and got the offer the month later and went from there that's awesome I think it shows a lot of initiative on your part as well but also that I think it is really important in those first and second years of uni particularly maybe when you're doing dry STEM subjects Mm. to really see how that's put into practice because I remember in my first year of uni I was like oh like is this going to get better because it's really theory driven and it's not that cutting edge new stuff it feels a bit like high school almost it's but harder (laughs) no it's really hard to picture like a future with just the theory and not having yeah like you said putting it in um, motion, I guess. Yeah. So um, I'd really love to hear more about what you did when you were there. So, like, did did you spend all your time in one place or did you move around? So the first five days we stayed in Kathmandu, kind of 
relaxing, getting to know each other, making friends, that sort of thing. And then went through a series of workshops that taught us more about their language, about their culture, and then it went more into the focus of empathy. And we did a few empathy workshops because that's what humanitarian design is really based on, being that ability to empathise with the person you're focusing on to help. Awesome. Um, so it sounds like you did a little bit of travelling around. So you did these workshops at first and then went to a village. Did you go to just one village or...? Did you go to a multiple, or so did they go to different ones each time? We had, it was 24 people, and we were split into groups of 12. Mm-hmm. So one group went to one village, one went to the other. Um, okay. So we were on a seven to eight hour bus ride to the middle, it's kind of like the middle city, Pokhara, and then got a quarter cheap, I guess you could say. Two, we rode two hours up the mountain to the village I went to, it was called Kilung. Okay. Yeah. So you you were able to get a bus to the neighbouring town, and then you had to go off road to the next. It was sort of yeah. It was forward. You had to have a forward drive to have to get up the mountain. Wow. um, The road is actually pretty much closed in their wet season because it's not drivable. (laughs) It's too dangerous. Wow, that sounds incredible. So you spent some time in this village, and what would you say that you learnt from this experience, or like have taken away from you know the trip as a whole? Uh, so I guess um, putting it in perspective, kind of how aid organisations normally help um, struggling villages or third world countries and just doing things for them and then leaving and it's only really a short term solution if that and sometimes it can do more damage than good. So we're kind of taught to really um, do things with them instead of for. So have that do with, not do for mentality and empower them and give them a solution that they can continue on themselves and not rely on you to run. And it's, yeah, it's a really long-term solution. So I always give people the same example. I think it was in Laos, a, an aid organisation was trying to um, improve the hygiene health of the village because they think they were just going in the field. So they're like, yep, we'll put in a block of toilets and it will be all good. But, um, yeah, they just left. They put it in and just left and then came back a few years later and they hadn't even been used they were the village was storing rice in them to keep the rice dry because that was a bigger priority they didn't understand um how going to the toilet in a block of toilets would be more hygienic than the field and um i guess it comes from the fact that they didn't include any of the villages in their design process they just thought yeah we're gonna throw our western technology and design process um in their face and that was their solution so we were kind of taught how not to do that <laughs> yeah I suppose that's a really important thing to really ad- adopt now because it's just not acceptable really to enforce our kind of norms on people um, or to design something that's not in partnership because how can you expect it to work well, we wouldn't like it if it was the other way around like we wouldn't want them shoving their culture in our face no, definitely not. Especially, you know, if, if... And that was that was the really challenging thing. Like, we both have different morals and different cultures and um, there were some things I didn't agree with but I had to learn to kind of put that aside and design things that, you know, is really, like you mentioned before, human-centred and it's all about them. It's, it's not about me. Yeah. And that was what I got from it. <laughs> that sounds incredible. I'm afraid that's all we've got time for today, but we're hoping to do a feature-length episode on humanitarian engineering in the coming weeks, and I hope you will tune in to that
You are listening to Now That's What I Call Science and we've been catching up with local science enthusiasts as part of our Science Week coverage. And earlier this week I caught up with a budding astrophysicist. Lucy Gillard is passionate about all things physics and indeed maths. She's 16 years old and a year 10 student at St Mary's College. Lucy was extremely inspiring. I caught up with her at the recent Utah's Catalyst Conversations event where we were just trying to pick the brains of some of our future scientists about what makes them passionate about science or want to explore science further. Um, and I'd really like to hear from Lucy now about her favourite subjects. Um, I love physics and math. I like it when it works, but sometimes it can get really frustrating. What do you love about physics? I love that it explains everything in this world. It's it just explains how we're here, how everything that we interact with, everything that we love doing is here. It's it's the answer to the creation. It's the answer to the questions, the big ones of why we're here. And I just love that. So I think we can all relate to Lutzi's uh, summation that, you know, sometimes science is frustrating. She particularly finds physics and maths, but more so maths that, you know, sometimes it's hard to get to the, the answer or the problem to be solved, but that there's also a big reward in that. Um, and I really liked that Lucy's resilience and perseverance with with that, but also how um, she came to really be inspired and passionate about these subjects. And indeed, she told me about when she she realised this passion for STEM and science and knew she wanted to pursue it further. I'd always been interested in science. I've always been, you know, doing things, reading books, but. Um, year eight, I remember my teacher was explaining the atom, and I know that's more chemistry aside, but, um, and he was explaining how it made up everything. I think I just realized then, at that moment, that everything around me, me, is made up of these atoms, and next thing I know, I'm going home, I'm searching up websites, I'm reading, and my teacher was really good, because the next day I came in to class with this notebook full of physics stuff, and I was just asking him questions, and he actually went through it and marked it for me, and I'd never really stopped. I loved hearing about how Lucy really discovered in year eight, you know, I think many scientists have that epiphany moment where all of a sudden the cogs in their brain start turning a little bit quicker and more questions are being generated at a pace that they can't keep up with. And it's just ignites that hunger to explore and find find answers. And it was just really joyful to hear that come from Lucy that she, she herself had had that experience recently. But I was amazed that, you know, somebody at 16 years of age could instantly already know that they wanted to pursue astrophysics. So let's hear from Lucy about why she wants to pursue astrophysics. I, I sort of got into astrophysics because um, we live a bit out, so, you always see the stars and especially uh, during the winter I'll be coming home from school which is a, a long trek for me and I'll be walking out and there's just these amazing stars and then I was just looking up and I will never forget when I was looking at a supernova it was on the NASA side and I just thought that is the most beautiful amazing thing I have ever seen. Being enthusiastic about the world around us and indeed, as Lucy describes, you know, walking home and seeing the stars around her in the clear sky, it's probably one of the things that defines scientists. And I indeed enjoyed talking to Lucy with passion about um, Katie Bauman, who wrote the code for the imaging, the recent black hole, the discovery this year, first time a black hole was imaged. And I think you'll agree with me that it's uh, really inspiring to hear from people like that. Let's hear about that conversation from Lucy. 
Do you see the story earlier this year about the woman who helped write the code for the black hole? Yes, and that was, wow, that made my mind blow. Like, we don't know much about black hole or dark matter or these things in space that we don't seriously don't know anything about. And this woman was able to code something to help map and picture a black hole. And I was, like, mind-struck. Because even though women are in science now, um, it's you, they're not as notable as you don't hear about them as much. Like everyone knows the words um, Einstein and Newton and the older ones, but and we know Marie Curie. But this is one out of so many other male scientists role models that we see. And I thought it was really good. I remember seeing the notification on my phone and thinking, yes, it's a woman. So as part of um getting ready for this interview, I asked Lutzi to profile a, a scientist that inspired her in the field that she was interested in. And I was so impressed with her choice of scientist. Um, I profiled Hinraya Perlis. She's um, from London and a professor of astrophysics. And she was part of the team that um, did the map, of, the most detailed map so far of the beginning of the universe, of the Big Bang. And um, they actually just recently won an award in 2018 for this map, and it's now thought of the cosmological standard map for the Big Bang. Wow. Yeah. I didn't even know this existed, this map. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah, and it's really incredible. And she, the whole team won this award. It was a team of 22, and she was the lead astrophysicist, as far as I'm aware. And yeah, she, it was really great. I remember looking her up, and... Yeah, it was, it was really interesting. And even though they won the award, I didn't actually really hear about it until I was doing a bit of Google searching. What I loved most was that Lutzi did something that is close to my heart and she picked somebody that was perhaps an unsung hero of science. And that is at this show, what we try and do. And I hope that all of our listeners are equally as inspired by this young, budding, enthusiastic and passionate scientist. And I hope that you could really hear and feel the, the love that she exudes for this area of scientific endeavor. You are listening to Now That's What I Call Science. This is the final episode of our Science Week specials where we are bringing you scientists of the future. And I have a very special guest in the studio with us as we record this episode because we're really shining a light on people's passions for science, technology, engineering and maths. So, special guest, please introduce yourself. Uh, I am Daniel Sell and I am a Year 12 student from Elizabeth College in Hobart. Awesome. So thank you very much for coming in today and meeting with us and uh, being so willing to share your passion for science. So what subjects do you currently take? Um, and thank you for allowing me to come in, by the way. Um, <laughs> and at Elizabeth College now, I'm doing physics, chemistry, economics and English. That is a good range of things. I think you have chosen very wisely. So what's your favourite subject? Uh, chemistry, but like you said, I wanted to keep all my options open, but I was primarily focused on science, yeah. and I think chemistry is where my heart lies. So yeah, that's so interesting because I actually I, do, I took English as well uh, right through, and I actually did a year of it at university, and I think it's really helpful in sciences to know how to communicate effectively, and then economics is blowing up in the sciences as well, so you have chosen very wisely. Yeah. Um, why do you love chemistry? Um, I think I love chemistry more than any of my other subjects just because anything, well, everything around us is made up of chemicals and 
I, I like to understand why that is and why something behaves in a certain way. Um, and I always like the idea of throwing different things in a test tube and watching what happened, really. That's really cool. I think chemistry is a really curiosity-driven science because yeah. it's that kind of thing of you can see how two things behave and then you go, oh, well, how would these two other things behave? Would they be similar or would they be different? Um, and we actually have a chemist who's a resident host on our show and she did the chemistry of native plants and she's always telling us that she loves figuring out the chemical structures and how that helps her understand those types of plants and their, their history. I also love uh, the fact that, you know, essentially all of us are the makeup of carbons that have always been around forever and I think that science is very beautiful in that way. So glad to hear you're a chemistry enthusiast. Um, so it's Science Week. Have you been to any Science Week things or doing any Science Week fun? Um, I recently went to the Catalyst Conversations at here at UTAS, um, just talking to some of the professors at UTAS and at my school at Elizabeth College, we're pretty heavily invested in Science Week. So two of my teachers, Jason Horror and Deborah Beswick, um, organised some grade one or two students and grade five or six students to come into our classes and run some pretty cool experiments and teach them about science. That's really cool. So they're they're pretty young, grade one and two, and then five and six. Um, and who, so were the teachers running the experiments and you were helping out, or were you actively running the experiments with these younger children? Um, the, the, we would be running the experiments. The teachers would, or Jason and Deborah would basically just kind of tell us what to do and then we would just run the experiments with the kids. Awesome. So how was that experience them. for you? I'm pretty, well, I've never really, obviously I've never really taught anyone before, so it was a pretty cool experience to be able to teach someone about science and talk to someone much younger than me why they like science, because I've never really asked myself why I like science, I've just done it because I... think it's cool. Yeah, I think it's cool, and watched a lot of superhero movies and sci-fi oh, cool. movies, and I always found it cool and... That's like, interesting. Stark. That sounds awesome. So what kind of stuff did you do? Did you do physics and chemistry? Yeah, in both my physics and chemistry classes, we did experiments. And in my, for instance, in my physics class, we did an experiment where the students, were the, the kids would drop an egg off the ceiling and they would have to estimate how much elastic they needed to get the egg to reach the floor but not hit the floor and the closest to the floor won. I'd imagine they loved that because if they didn't succeed, it was quite messy. Yeah, no, there was there was a lot of <laughs> smashed eggs everywhere. <laughs> and what kind of elastic did you use? Was it like elastic bands or like longer? I'm trying to imagine how would something be so long that it could go from the roof to the floor? Yeah, we, we just used very long rubber bands, really, and then tied a little string to the end attached to an egg and drop it off the ceiling. That sounds really fun. Yeah. So one group succeeded or did any, how did you measure who was the winner or who did well? We measured by basically if you didn't crack the egg and then <laughs> observations and yeah, only one group succeeded, but they, I think they only succeeded because they wrapped their egg with a lot of sticky tape and a lot of <laughs> other things. So it, it hit the floor, but it didn't crack because it was Ah, uh, so they took shielded. extra measures. Yeah. Cunning. That's pretty, pretty ingenious. And what kind of things did you do in chemistry with the, the school kids? Um, in chemistry, we had grade one and twos, like I said. So we just did, we made slime and then we made elephant toothpaste. What is elephant toothpaste? Um, it's, it's the decomposition of hydrogen peroxide. Oh. I mean, that makes a really long foamy substance and it's 
pretty cool to watch. Yeah, wow. And the slime, kids love slime. So Yeah, well, exactly. Like... And then we made the slime and they could take it home. And oh, we also made um, whiz-fizz kind of by sugar and then some salts. Wow, that sounds like perfect for young children. And also then you can make stuff that you would usually buy at home and be like, wow, science, it's literally magical. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> so it was pretty fun for the kids. And yeah, they could bring what they made home. That's awesome. So do you think you'll pursue science to university? Yes, I, I do think I will. Um, yeah? It's funny because I never really liked science in high school. A few years ago, I never liked science. But then I, I had a pretty enthusiastic teacher about science and he told me that I, I wanted to help people and he taught me that science, you can help people in many different ways, even if you're just from Tasmania, you can help people across the world doing science. That is absolutely right. And that's what we're extremely passionate about here at this show is how so many researchers or scientists in Tasmania are making a big impact to people's lives all across the world. And I think it's wonderful that that's your main aim. And sadly, listeners, that's all we've got time for today with Daniel. But Daniel, it's been so inspiring to talk to you. Thank you so much for coming in. And I hope our listeners enjoyed that and that we can get you back in another time. Oh, thank you. I'd love to come back in and have a chat. You are listening to Now That's What I Call Science, the weekly radio show coming out of Hobart, Tasmania. And this week we are finishing off our Science Week specials with uh, future scientists. And we're trying to cover essentially those people that are shaping the world already and improving it for tomorrow. This is our last segment, so I hope you've enjoyed the show so far. And I'm absolutely thrilled to have a special guest in the studio who's going to tell us about an amazing project that they did last year. So, special guest, please introduce yourself. Um, so, hi, my name is Lucy Eade, and I'm in year 11 at St. Mary's College. Awesome, year 11, so next year is like final year, yes. crunch time. Stressful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty intense those last two years of high mm, school, hey? For sure, yes, very what, stressful. <laughs> what subjects are you taking? Um, so, this year I'm doing physical sciences, which I really enjoy, um, maths methods four, um, art production and English 3, so a range of subjects. That yeah. is a range, wow. So what do you cover in physical sciences? Um, so physical sciences, it's a combination of both physics and chemistry, so the year sort of split up into two and we do a range of 10 different units of all the sort of the basics of chemistry and physics and then there's sort of the intros and if you like them you go on to do them in year 12. Oh okay so in year 12 then you'll have to re-pick subjects again. Yeah yeah. Okay and you'll pick four again? Yes. Yeah okay. Has art production that's a bit oh. left of field <laughs> in the mix there. Yeah no I um I really like art production it's sort of a break from all my really intense subjects yeah. but no it's fun to get in the studio. And just so is that paint. literally like oh so that's making art yeah, pieces. Yeah. I was imagining like set design or... <laughs> no, yeah no that's literal painting yeah, so, yeah wow that's amazing <laughs> and i imagine that's really nice to kind of just have something else that's a little bit different yeah no for yeah. sure it's a great break and a great stress relief <laughs> yeah and creativity is absolutely essential in science that's what a lot of the great scientists mm -hmm. have done and i think you obviously have heaps of it so last year you took part in the science and engineering investigation awards and another awards competition yeah so i um i did my gold crest award oh, which was where i spent 100 hours on a project so it was very <laughs> a very intense year but from there I was lucky enough to be selected as a national finalist in the BHB Billiton Awards, which is a 
prestigious science awards um, that's wow. held every year all around Australia. So that was so exciting and such a privilege to be selected in those um, 26 national files. Well, it's, I mean, it sounds very well deserved if you've done 100 hours <laughs> while in year oh, 10 you. towards a project. And I just, please tell us a little bit about this project because I'm so excited for our listeners to hear about it. Um, so I looked at the issue of school students receiving serious injuries as a result of carrying backpacks that were too heavy. So I sort of, I looked at the, the students and my friends around school and thought how big this issue is. And from there, I actually did a survey within my school and found out that 87% of the students I surveyed carried a backpack that was over the safe recommended limit. So I knew it was such a big issue in our school. So my idea was to develop a system that would detect when the kid, the student's backpack was over this limit and then inform them so that they wouldn't be injuring themselves whilst walking to and from school. Wow. So what's the safe limit? Do you know? Um, so it's according to your body weight. So it's 10% of your body weight. And I took that from a range of different studies from all around the world that prove that it, if you carry a backpack that is over 10% of your body weight, it can lead to serious long-term injuries. So you had to do a literature search as part of this as well then to yeah, get some no, of this sure. evidence base to, to pick the 10% threshold. That's amazing. And so what, what was it that notified them? Was it like a sensor in their backpack? Or? Yeah, so I initially started with a few different prototypes of one where it would be um, attached to the backpack, but I ended up going with based on the um, the systems that we had at school, it was a literal hardware system that had a force sensor attached to it and that the idea would be that that would be a, a hook in the students' lockers so that when they were leaving for the day, they would hang their bags on this force sensor and then it would display to them on an LCD display system whether it was over or under the safe recommended limit based on the student's body weight. That's amazing. So the LCD display system would have been in the locker attached to the hook? Yeah, for sure. That's that, the idea. That's awesome. And did you get to test that prototype? Um, well, so I developed it and coded it and everything and had a system that I'd created. But yeah, going to the next step of making wireless and into students' lockers is sort of where I'm at now. Wow. Oh, my, my mind is blown. <laughs> so when you say you developed it and coded it, are you talking like using sensors in like a Raspberry Pi or an Arduino <laughs> and having to code it as in computer coding? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I sort of, we had lots of Arduino systems at school. So I sort of looked at what we had and my ICT teacher brought a few more things in, but from there we looked at the sort of stuff we had created this system based on other research and other sort of projects similar and then I looked at coding the system which was very brand new for me and very scary but um I got there with lots of help from my ICT teacher but yeah it was great to learn a new coding language which is such an awesome like awesome experience and such a great thing to know so, so you had to use the language for Arduino yeah yeah, yeah so yeah. Arduino language which is very tricky but um, that's amazing <laughs> and what I love about that is that um you used resources that were readily available to you and mm-hmm. I think that's something to share with all of our listeners that with you know these Raspberry Pis or Arduinos now for really cheap you can essentially yeah, make some sure. really cool tech devices and really play around with it I love how <laughs> your ingenuity to just kind of see a problem and think about and workshop lots of different solutions because my mind instantly went oh you'd need to have something that would maybe tell their smartphone when it's on their back but that makes perfect sense that you'd fill your bag up when you're about to go from mm-hmm. your locker 
do a quick safety check. Well, yeah, that, that was some of the options. I sort of had a few different things where I was putting them into the, um, the straps on the backpack or the bottoms of the backpacks, but there were so many different things that could affect that or that, that it wasn't a great idea. So, yeah, I ended up resulting in having it in the student's lockers, which then, as the idea would be, that the school would purchase the whole system placed in the lockers and then it wouldn't be something that students would have to purchase and then money wouldn't be an issue. So. Lucy, that is such a good plan because <laughs> you've even thought through how it could be resourced long term. I can't wait to hear more about this when you've done the second phase of your testing, but unfortunately, that's all we've got time for right now. Um, thank you so much for coming in today that was I'm so excited just hearing about your project and I hope that all of our listeners this is our last segment covering scientists of the future I hope we've shown you some of the bright young minds that are really up and coming on the Tasmanian science scene and I'm certainly much more hopeful of the solutions that are being developed right here on our doorstep by some of the brightest people I think in Tasmania Thank you very much. As usual, you can get in touch with us on all of our social platforms by searching Now Science Radio. And uh, this show is sponsored and supported by Edge Radio 99.3 FM. 